Welcome back to The Passion Project. My name is Alex Adams, and I'm very excited for our special guest, Ian Mendes, to come on and talk about his career in sports journalism and the Senators. He has worked for TSN, Sportsnet, and is now the, a senior writer at The Athletic and covers the Senators. How's it going, Ian? Hey, Alex, listen, thanks uh, thanks so much for uh, reaching out and having me, having uh, having a great day. Hope uh, hope you're doing well, too. Yeah, I'm doing great. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, I just wanted to get started with your kind of career in, in sports journalism, journalism. And when did you first think you might pursue a career in sports journalism? Ah, you know, probably back in high school, to be honest with you. Um, I think like a lot of kids, um, you know, you grow up playing sport. I played hockey. I played baseball. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I played tennis. I played all these. I love sports. But at some point you get to, you know, your your teenage years, you realize I'm not going to be able to make a living uh, out of any of these sports. And so uh, you start to think about, well, what's the next best thing to being an athlete would be covering athletes or talking about athletes or uh you know and i I was a kid who grew up watching hockey night in canada and Mm -hmm. uh you know uh, major league baseball and uh, all all these things and so uh you don't realize it but you as much as you fall in love with um the game and the athletes you end up falling in love with broadcasting right and Mm -hmm. and and the media side of things and you don't even realize that that's what's happening because you're just consuming it and um you know i i probably around grade nine or ten started to think like, wow, I, I would love to, to kind of pursue this. So yeah, that's probably when the, the, the seed was first planted in, uh, in mm-hmm. high school. And, and did you kind of start kind of writing and kind of doing local games when you're in high school, kind of like for the local high school football team, or was it kind of more after you graduated high school? Yeah. It, it like, like I left high school, I grew up in Vancouver okay, and, uh, was <laughs> I'm one of the rare people that, uh, left Vancouver to come to Ottawa. I, people yeah. usually do the other way because it's uh, probably a lot nicer out there. But I, I don't regret it because I, I love Ottawa, and yeah. um, you know. But but I I wrote for the school newspaper in mm-hmm. high school, but it was never. Uh, I don't think I wrote very much about. I wrote a little bit about sports, but mm-hmm. it was really when I came to Carleton, did mm-hmm. the journalism program, and kind of got immersed into you know the nuances of, of being a reporter that really got me into um, mm-hmm. you know covering sports per se. Mm-hmm. And I know that like I, I did a bit of digging and I saw that after you graduated, you you worked at the Ottawa Lynx and it says in PR. And it also I found something that said that you worked as a mascot. And uh, I just kind of wanted to know what that experience was like kind of after graduating journalism and kind of going into kind of the field. And also, can can we have any funny mascot stories? Yeah, of course. Well, there, is there anything other than funny mascot stories? Yeah. There's, no serious, <laughs> there's no serious mascot stories, is yeah. there? Yeah. Um, yeah, listen, like I, I, and I love the journalism program at Carlton and I would, I would direct any, you know, young, my, da- my dad actually worked there. Yeah. 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 And it's, uh, you know, I would, I would direct any young student that has aspirations for getting into this field. I would direct them to Carlton because I just think it was a, mm-hmm. a phenomenal program that kind of got me ready for, you know, the working world. But, you know, when I graduated, yeah, the, the first job opportunity I really had that was uh, you know, presented to me was to be a, a media relations assistant with the Ottawa Lynx uh, baseball team, the old Triple A team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I was, boy, I think I think my salary was four hundred dollars a week. I think or it might have been like whatever it was. It was, yeah. you know, it was, you know, it wasn't a, a huge salary, but it was a, a foot in the door. And the the thing is, when you start working for a minor league baseball team and you are working on 
kind of in an essentially an entry level position. Um, you got to do everything. You got to wear five or six different hats. So, you know, mm-hmm. I was helping to write press releases and I was helping to coordinate interviews, but I was also, you know, when it was, when, when, you know, it would start to rain, they needed 10 or 12 people to come and run and pull the tarp out over the field. You would do that. You wow. would, uh, you know, you would do all these things that weren't really in your job description. And one of them ended up being, uh, <laughs> we need a fill in mascot a couple of yeah. times. So, uh, I did it. The one time that really sticks out to me, though, was uh, the Santa Claus Parade uh, in Ottawa, which if, if people grew up in Ottawa, you know that the Santa Claus Parade, I think, just runs up Bank Street. Yeah. Uh, or at least it used to back in the day. I, I, this whole COVID thing, I don't know. Yeah. The Santa Claus Parade <laughs> is still going or whatever. But uh, it ran from City Hall, which is at Laurier and Elgin, essentially. And it would come up Laurier. Then you come south on bank all the way to Lansdowne Park. Mm-hmm. And I was told, look, uh, the guy that um, the guy that usually does the mascot, uh, Lenny the Lynx was his name, was the <clears throat> mascot's name. The guy couldn't do the Santa Claus parade. And they're like, look, we, we really need the visibility for the baseball team in the, in the wintertime. We need somebody to, to do it. And so I was kind of the old voluntold, uh, hey, hmm. guy on the bottom of the totem pole, you're going you're gonna to do this. And I did it on the condition of, of thinking that um, I was told that there would be a fire truck. And I think it was from Gloucester or Orleans. I just remember right. it was for the East End. And they said to me, uh, just go to City Hall, put on the mascot costume and wait for this fire truck. Yeah. You jump on the back of the fire truck. You get to wave to people and you're good to go. Well, I get there. I get to City Hall, put on the big cartoon cat head, waiting for the fire truck, waiting. It doesn't show up. This fire truck that I'm supposed to ride on never shows up. So they basically tell me, okay, well, you're going to walk. I walked all the way from City Hall to Lansdowne, oh and which would, no, but wouldn't be a huge deal because, uh, you know, it's not that. It's probably three kilometers, yeah. whatever it is. That, that's not a huge deal. The problem was twofold. One, you're wearing a mascot head, uh, you know, mascot costume. That That's not great. Um, <laughs> the second part was, I wore the mascot shoes, which were basically just they're like decorative shoes. They weren't even meant to be worn around to like run around. But I was like, I'm going to be riding on a fire truck. What do I need comfortable shoes for? So I had to walk, uh, you know, three kilometers. And it was like I I always told people, imagine putting your feet into empty Kleenex boxes (laughs) and then walking around. That would be the same support. I got from these uh, mascot <laughs> shoes. So uh, it, it it was certainly memorable because I remember walking up Bank Street and, you know, I'm wearing this big mm-hmm. mask, uh, cat head, and I'm waving to kids. I'm like, hey, hey. And, but under my breath, I'm muttering like, this is an effing joke or get me <laughs> out of here or whatever. And, you know, yeah, yeah. You're waving to the kids. So it was, uh, it was the kind of the one time I remember being the, um, um, the do it all. The, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, just to kind of transition from kind of your time with the Lynx, how did you kind of make that jump from PR with the Lynx to, to sports that? So, um, it's, it's a, it's a funny story. So when I was working with the Lynx, um, I ended up, uh, my, my boss left the Lynx to go join the Ottawa senators. Okay. And, um, you know, he, he joined the senators and then a couple of, you know, a, a year later, there was an opening at the Senators and he brought me over because he had worked with me. Uh, with the, Unfortunately, I never got to be Sparta Cat, though. Uh, when I was, <laughs> when I ended up working with the Senators, I, I never got the chance to be Sparta yeah, Cat. He, but I, I, 
I moved over there and um it was it was it was a fantastic job. I I I loved doing uh media relations and and working with the players and and um yeah, you know, that was a great period of my life. Yeah. Um but um but I I still always had this thing in the back of my mind that I think I want to be a reporter. Mm-hmm. And so I I'll give the senators some credit that when I was working in the PR department for the Ottawa Senators in the summertime, they let me still volunteer at Rogers Television um, in Ottawa. Just say that again. So you went from PR at the Lynx to PR at the Senators? Is that correct? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I spent, you know, a season and a bit, um, you know, working in media relations with the Senators, and I, I loved it. Um, but like I said, I, I think I always wanted to do mm-hmm. uh, reporting and journalism. So the Senators allowed me to uh, basically, uh, you know, in the summertime, work on Ottawa Lynx broadcasts on Rogers TV. Wow. So I got to, to work, uh, you know, a lot of baseball games. And, um, and, and so I got my lucky break is that, you know, one day I, we were broadcasting a game. It was the Ottawa Lynx against, I think it was Syracuse. And mm-hmm. at the time, Syracuse was the uh, minor league affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays. Oh, okay. okay. Mm-hmm. So because Ottawa was playing the Blue Jays affiliate, the Rogers TV network, decided mm-hmm. to air that game all across Ontario. So the wow. anywhere anywhere that Rogers had mm. an affiliate in um, in Ontario, they would they played our game live. Okay? Which, you know, I, I don't know how many people were watching random community television uh, you know, still- all over Ontario, but here's where I got my break. It just so happened that day that Jerry Dobson, who worked for Sportsnet, he was a longtime soccer guy for people. Yeah. Who, who oh, yeah, I know who that is. Yeah. Jerry Dobson. Well, Jerry used to actually run the news department at Sportsnet in the early 2000s. Okay. On this random Saturday, he happens to be flipping around his TV, stops on his, and I think he was in Mississauga or whatever, Peel region, whatever, and stops on this Lynx broadcast. And I come up on the screen for 30 seconds, mm-hmm. minute, whatever. And he notices me and he's like, Oh, it's funny. He's like, uh, we need to get a reporter in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And out of the blue, I got a phone call from him. Wow. You know, a week later, he's like, Hey, I, uh, I noticed that you were doing uh, you have any interest in, and this was like, uh, it was almost like out of a, like a movie, you know, these yeah, things yeah. that you're like, uh, Hey, are you interested in your dream job? I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, sports that brought me down to Toronto for, you know, like on a screen test on air test, I did some interviews with them and yeah, they, mm-hmm. they offered me the job and um, you know, I, I loved it, but that really, that's how I got my break it was a complete, um, you know, accident or, or fluke or whatever you want to call it. I, I got, I got super lucky there. Mm-hmm. And, and just kind of going forward, like I get, you know, you've now been in the industry, what, 20 years or so. Uh, yeah. And I know you've covered world series, Stanley cups and, and just kind of what are your kind of, more memorable like memories or, or moments that you've been in. I've also, I also know you're a Cowboys fan. Oh. I was just wondering if you ever kind of went to Sportsnet, TSN, whoever, and said, I need to, to cover a Dallas Cowboys game. Okay. So now listen, this podcast was going great until you brought up the Cowboys <laughs> because man, I'm getting, I'm, I'm already starting to get it's that time nervous, but like it's that time of year where you just know they're going to finish nine and seven. They're going to squeak into the playoffs. I'm going to lose the first round. But anyway, that the wild card weekend, but that that's, <laughs> that's another story for that. I, I did. You know what? I did actually get to cover one. I covered one Dallas Cowboys game. I didn't even ask for it. I didn't ask for it, okay. but it was during 
I think it would have been September of uh, 2012. So okay. I was constantly serving uh, as Sportsnet's main reporter during the lockout of mm-hmm. 2012 into 2013. So all of, you know, so when training camps and stuff were supposed to open in, in the fall of 2012, mm-hmm. there was a lockout. Yeah. But there was all these negotiations going on in, uh, yeah, I remember, in New yeah. York. So they would send me all the time. They're like, hey, you go cover the negotiations. Well, I believe the one year that they, they, they sent me down or the one week they sent me down in early September, it coincided with the NFL's um, opening weekend and Dallas played at the Giants on thir- – it was a Thursday night to open the season. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, boy, I, I don't know why the Giants were – Maybe did the Giants? You know what? I think that was the second after the Giants won their second Super Bowl. Yeah, that sounds not right. not not the Tyree catch one because that was I think the, 2008. The, the, the second the, one again. The second Pats. one where they where they beat the Pats again. Yeah. It was like Mario Manningham and all yep. that. Anyway, the Giants hosted the Thursday night season opener, and I was in New York. And Sportsnet said to me, "Listen, we're going to send you to we, we, go cover the." the game at uh, at the Meadowlands. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is unbelievable. So yeah. I got to go uh, cover the game. Dallas won. I don't remember. Well, I don't even remember the details of that. Uh, I just remember being in the locker. I'm pretty sure Dallas won that game. But anyway, I, I remember being in the locker room, um, you know, uh, being in the scrum with, with, with Jason Witten. Oh, yeah. Being in the scrum, like a, and then the thing I'll never forget is that Jerry Jones just comes in the locker room <laughs> during the media session. Yeah. Just stands in the middle and then whoosh every all the report. And I was like, well, I guess I gotta. Yeah. He just starts talking. And, <laughs> and 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 you know, people are asking him questions, and he's and, and it's just the most bizarre thing because I think you know, and I, I mean, listen, technically he is always been the general manager of the team, too. Yeah. But it, even then, like just in to- what other scenario would you see a general manager just roll in and just start taking questions? So um that that is the one game. Uh, that I got to cover the the Cowboys and it was opening opening night in 2012. I feel like they won the game. I don't remember the details yeah. uh, of it, but uh, but it was uh, it was pretty cool. And and is there kind of other kind of non Cowboys moments yeah. kind of stick in your mind? I guess just to kind of transition to that. Yeah, yeah. Listen, like I, it's funny. Like I I grew up a huge baseball fan, so being able to cover the World Series, um, I think I did four or five World Series. Like that was amazing to me because uh you know i grew up in the 90s when you know the blue jays were were dominant and won a couple of world series and um you know i was a big expos fan as a kid so uh, you know um getting a chance to cover the world series was huge uh stanley cup finals were amazing I, um you know the one i always think about for stanley cup is you know i i, I wish ottawa had, had had won a stanley cup and um you know i i I think about 2007. I think the electricity in the city was was Crazy. you know off off the hook, and it was uh, it was great. But like for me, the probably the the things that I, I love most, I got to cover. Probably, if you're asking me, the singular best moment I ever covered um, was the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver. Because yeah. uh, you know, a I grew up in Vancouver, so to be able to go essentially quote unquote home um, mm-hmm. to cover the Olympics, but to be in the building when when Crosby scored that goal, um, wow! I remember walking out of the the arena that day thinking. You know that that that's it for me in terms of um, I'll never cover anything like that again because you know we win a gold medal on home ice and 
you know, the, the greatest player of his generation scores the, yeah. the winning goal. When will the stars ever align for that again? Like maybe, yeah. maybe we win another Olympic gold um, and maybe home. we have the best player to do it, but to do it on home ice, home ice yeah. um, you know, yeah. I, I, I didn't know that that would uh, ever happen. So that was great. And I also got to cover, I'm not a soccer fan at all. Like I didn't, okay. like, I, I, like I didn't grow up okay. watching soccer. I played a little bit, but I didn't, didn't mm-hmm. love the game. I covered the world cup in Germany in 2006 and that was about as amazing of a spectacle for six weeks that I've ever been a part of. Really? Okay. uh, You know, uh, I would put that at the top of the list that, you know, to be able to go to virtually every city in Germany and cover, um, you know, Hmm. um, German soccer, watch these matches, Italy and and, and France and all these uh, amazing. um, Yeah. Yeah. All these amazing, uh, you know, matches, semifinals, finals, all that. Uh, yeah, it was uh, about as great of uh, a sporting event that I've ever, uh, ever covered. Okay, great. Um, I guess I was going to ask kind of what, what do you love most about being a sports journalist? I guess you've kind of mentioned kind of going to those events, but is there anything else that kind of like what, like, yeah. Yeah. You know what? I think, you know, the, the thing is like, I feel like, um, most days I don't even work if that makes sense. Mm. Like if people ask me, what's the, the, the best thing about the job, it's that I don't feel like I'm working because honestly, like if I wasn't working or in this field, I would probably still be paying attention to it, following it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you are able to take your, your passion in life and, and turn it into a career, it's probably the best thing you can do. And I just happen to be a sports fan, but I, I, I'm super happy when I hear that, you know, people who are into music or art or yeah. you know, one, one of those things um, are able to turn those passions into careers. That's the best thing. And so w- when I talk about the best things, like for me as a reporter, that that's it for me. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I rarely, I think there's a, especially when you live in a place like Ottawa, where it's a predominantly um, government town, there's a lot of people who wake up every Monday morning and kind with of a little bit of a sense of dread of like, yeah. here we go again, another week at the rat race or another week where I don't feel super um, engaged or motivated mm-hmm. or inspired to work. And, um, but that's the reality for, you know, I feel like 90% of people is that they don't necessarily love their job, right? Or they, yeah. a, a job is more of like a means to an end to, to get a mm-hmm. paycheck and to, you know, live your life. But when you get to be one of that, you know, kind of 10% that, that loves their job or, you know, turns their hobby into a passion. It's the best, uh, I think the best aspect of my job for sure. Well, that's kind of what my podcast is trying to talk to people about their passions in life. So that's, you said it's very eloquently. So, uh, perfect. (laughs) Um, uh, I just wanted to kind of transition into your new job at the athletic and kind of how's it been kind of working there and, and kind of the transition. I know you're at TSN and doing a lot of radio. So kind of what, what that transition's been like. Yeah, listen, and, and you know, like, I'll, I'll give you the kind of the, the quick version of, of how and why I transitioned some jobs. Like, sure, yeah, as much sure. as we just talked about um, how much I loved covering, you know, World Cup, World Series, Olympics, um, you know, all these great moments. One of the things that I don't think enough young reporters understand is there's a lot of nights on the road and a lot yeah. of travel. And it's really hard to do a work-life balance uh, if you want to have a family, look, if you want to be a single person and you don't have a partner, or you don't you know, have aspirations for family, this is a great job, like fantastic job. But 
if you do want that, those things, if you do want to have a, mm-hmm. a partner, a spouse, or you want to have kids, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a tightrope walk uh, to yeah. do it. Um, and I just got to the point with, with Sportsnet where I was, you know, on the road 125, 150 days a year, um, you know, out of 365 days, that's a, that's, you know, 35, 40, 40% of the year that you're on the road. And it's, it's really hard to, um, to be a parent. So I made the decision um, kind of in the summer of 2013 um, that it was time for me to get off the ride. It's, it's almost like you're on a, uh, an OC transport bus and you're like, you know, you got to pull the little cord. You're like, yeah, you know, it's, I got to get off this. Yeah. I got to get off this bus uh, yeah. because it's just, it, it you know, um, my kids at the time, our kids were nine and, and six. Okay. And I felt like I was, missing a lot of things i was missing birthdays i was missing uh you know uh, performances or concerts or you know different things that they were involved in i couldn't take them to activities and i felt like uh you know your kids are only young one time and yeah. um so I, I made the decision listen i'm gonna leave and i i know there was a lot of people are like uh hey dude you're leaving a, a network television job to go work for an am radio station and i i don't regret it at all in hindsight I, it was the best thing i did at the time was was leaving because you know i i got a more regular schedule i never traveled i think i took one trip two trips with tsn 1200 and they were you know to the draft and you know kind of back you know within four days or whatever it wasn't um you know after spending 150 days a year on the road um, i think in my seven years at tsn 1200 i think i spent a grand total of 10 days away wow maybe Maybe wow. like okay. if that, so it was huge. And, and, you know, uh, I got a normal schedule. I, I, I did the afternoon drive home show. So two to six every day, uh, you know, I would spend my mornings researching and, you know, prepping the show, but, but every day at six Oh five, when I walked out of that studio, I was free and clear. There was yeah. no phone call coming from an assignment desk saying, Hey, uh, you need to go to Pittsburgh because Sidney Crosby's got a concussion or you got to, you know, there was not, it was very freeing and liberating. And so, um, you know, those seven years at TSN 1200 gave me back my, um, my family life. I got to, I got to coach my uh, youngest daughter in ringette. Mm -hmm. I got to uh, do a whole bunch of things that uh, never would have been able, uh, never would have been able to do these things had I had my old job. So that was great. But then, you know, at the end of my time at TSN 1200, I just felt like, I don't know. And maybe this is what happens to people in their forties is they, they start to feel like, and I'll use a golf analogy here. Okay. I think when you get, and I'm, I'm 45 now. So I feel like I'm, uh, I just finished the front nine yeah. of my career. And now I'm on the back nine. And I think when you make that turn and you usually do that in your you know early forties, you start to ask yourself, like, what are the things that I want to accomplish? And mm-hmm. I think the one thing I had, one of the things I had left was, listen, I did television. I loved it. I did radio. I loved it. Could I be a writer? Could I, could I pull off the trifecta of, of, of doing all these things? And mm-hmm. I, I said, I, I want to give it a shot. So that's really, that was mm-hmm. sort of the catalyst to, to kind of lead me down the road of, of, of doing the athletic. It is an amazing company. It, it mm-hmm. they, you know, it's, it's an upstart kind of young company, although, you know, now it's, I think we're six years old, really. Um, yeah. And, uh, and know, New York it, Times and everything. Yeah. New York Times has purchased us and it's, you know, it all seems to be going in the right direction. And um, I, I think it it's a very loyal uh, subscriber base. And I think, well, mm-hmm. listen, when, when, when people pay 
and whether people got on for a dollar a month or six dollars a month, whatever it is, people are more invested, I think, in the product when they're paying a few dollars a month for it. And then you also, I think, as a writer, as a content creator, producer of this stuff, you feel an obligation of, man, like, you know, some guy or girl is paying five dollars a month. Um, I can't just take, you know, three, four five weeks off without you know, producing anything. Yeah. So you try it. You know, I just took two weeks off, but that was the first time in my two years at the athletic, I even took yeah. a significant amount of time off. Wow. Um, but you just feel a great sense of, of, of uh, a connection to the audience, but also an obligation and um, a feeling of, Hey, um, you know, you're paying for this. I got to be accountable to you and, and that type of thing. So it's great though. I, I love it. I, I think it was the best thing I ever did was, um, mm -hmm. was making that switch. And I would encourage a lot of people, like when you get to that point in your career, and it, like I said, a lot of times it happens in your forties, but it might happen earlier for people or even later, but like to, to take that leap of faith and, and, you know, mm -hmm. take the shot, like shoot your shot. So to speak, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I think you, you're not going to end up regretting it. Well, that was great. Great answer. Um, I don't really know what, what else to ask about that, yeah. but I guess just, going about kind of the stories you've been writing at the athletic um, obviously the hockey Canada story, you know, come out from Rick Westhead and you guys at the athletic as well. Um, and I just kind of wanted to know kind of what that process was um, for you guys to write a story so serious. And obviously normally you guys aren't writing, maybe like it's on ice stuff or whatever. Yeah. So I just wanted to know kind of what the process was like to make a, to write a, a piece like that. Yeah. Listen, and, and, uh, it's hard to do because look, I've spent 20 years being a, a, you know, for the most part, people have come to me and they're like, Oh, that guy's, you know, especially when I was on the radio, most of the content was kind of lighter and more fun. Yeah. And even when I was in Sportsnet, we did lights and fun features, but you know, again, at some point, I think if you want to, if you want to really truly uh, become a writer, um, you got to roll up your sleeves and, and get into some mm -hmm. uncomfortable stories. And there are some uncomfortable stories in the hockey world right now. Yeah. And um, you know, you, you bring up the name of Rick Westhead, you know, Rick deserves oh. so much credit. Like, I, I think like, I don't think there's a more important media person in hockey than Rick Westhead. And, yeah. you know, you're going to see people's, you know, you always, every year you see these power rankings of the most powerful you know, people in, in sports and hockey, you know, what? Yeah. Rick should be number one because nobody has influenced from the, from the Kyle beach story, yeah. which happened about a year ago at this time to the hockey Canada stuff um, and everything in between Rick has been a leader. And, and, and I, I truly have felt a, a, a sense of a calling that um, we can't be leaving this guy on an Island. Yeah. Like, there's an obligation from all of us. If we're in hockey media, we got to cover these stories. It, it shouldn't be. Uh, and and I'm really fortunate. I have a, an unbelievable pair of Katie colleagues. Strang, Katie you know, Strang. Robson. And, and Rick, like Katie, I put Katie right next to Rick in terms mm -hmm. of doing important, uncomfortable work. Nobody wants to do these stories, but these stories need to be told. Yeah. And, you know, Katie does a fantastic job, uh, just like Rick does. Uh, Dan Robson, who I've uh, been able to work with, is, is probably, I think Dan is the best feature writer mm -hmm. in sports and, yeah. and he is so good his stuff is like yeah. i read his stuff and i'm like man that that's a writer like that's <laughs> that's what i aspire to be uh, so yeah. to be able to be teamed up with them was great uh you know we we first teamed up for the um the kind of deep dive on 
the culture of the Ottawa Senators. That's how the three of us got put together. Was, I was, um, yeah, was going to yeah. ask you about that after. Yeah. That was my following. So um, I guess if I, like you kind of answered it, but I just kind of would like to ask it before we go to the Sens. Like, what do you feel the role of sports journalists now? Like you kind of answered it, but I, I maybe yeah. just more detailed question of like their role to kind of delve into these stories. Cause I think that's been such a pertinent kind of question recently for, for a lot of, uh, sport, uh, well, hockey writers especially yeah yeah and, it, and it, listen i think we're at a crossroads in the industry and i'm not saying that there isn't an appetite for information about trades and rumors and there is i'm not i'm not criticizing mm-hmm. the reporters who break those stories because they're important stories they're mm-hmm. to the audience people want to know um yeah if Ottawa was going to sign Claude Giroux or, you know, trade for Debrinkat or they try to sign a top four defenseman or trade for, I get that's a huge appetite. Yeah. But if there are kind of nefarious or underhanded or toxic or abusive things that are simultaneously happening, it's our obligation to also shine a light on that. And, and I think that's where we've all made a mistake in the last 10 or 15 years is I think we've, we've been so focused on, um, you know, the, the trades in, and the, yeah, the, the insider stuff. And, and again, it's important. Like, don't get me wrong. That, that stuff is important, but these stories of abusive, uh, toxic uh, workplaces uh, and environments, whether it's, what has happened with the Ottawa Senators in the last yeah. five or six years, whether it's the Chicago Blackhawks, whether it's Hockey Canada, all of these things as reporters and journalists, this happened on our watches. Mm-hmm. So we should feel some sense of ownership and say, uh, that happened on my watch. Um, you know, did Is- I hear about did I hear about these things and not report them? And you know, that that's a great question. If I didn't hear about them, you know, what does that say about me as a reporter? Mm-hmm. Like, look, there's a lot like I don't want to get into this finger pointing thing. No, I think no. what's more important is everybody who's a reporter, a broadcaster, journalist simply needs to look in the mirror. That's it. That's it. Look in the mirror. Ask yourself, are you truly telling the story or are you telling the story that they want you to tell? Mm-hmm. And I think in the last year, we've really learned that there's a lot of things happening underneath the hood in the hockey world that need, they need to be exposed. And, and, and I've always given the analogy to, okay? okay. I think everybody that comes out of, um, you know, journalism school or you're a reporter, we all get a flashlight. Okay. And the world can be a very dark place, mm-hmm. but our job is to shine that light in dark places. And sometimes we're too preoccupied shining that light on trade rumors and, you know, whatever, but on the other side of the room, there's there's abuse happening and there's things, you know, take your light. We all, all of us that have a platform on Twitter and on mm. um, our, our various media outlets that we work for, we all have a platform. At the end of the day, um, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, when you look back, are you going to be proud of what you use your flashlight for? I guess is my, mm-hmm. my point. And, and I... Um, I'm willing to admit that I don't think that I shine my flashlight in the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not going to be the case anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to make sure I shine it in a place that um, tells the story and tells the truth. And if it makes people uncomfortable, that's not my problem. Yeah. If, if, if you're uncomfortable with the light being shined on you, there's a reason for that. 
Yeah. And we we got to get more. We we need more. I say this all the time. We need more Katie Strangs and request heads. Mm-hmm. We do. And and we have enough insiders. We mm-hmm. have enough insiders. We need some outsiders. Yeah. No. That's basically that, it. Definitely. Um. I I guess I just want to have a little bit on Eugene Melnick before we kind of talk sense. Yeah. That's okay. Um. I just because like obviously he hasn't been the most kind of beloved in the fan base in the past years. And like, if you read your article about him, uh, you definitely get that and the complicated man he was. Um, I just wanted to know because, you know, it came out quite after or like quite recently after his death kind of, was that piece coming? Like, what were you working on that for a long time? Did it kind of, was it happens chance? Cause I know people asked about that at the time and um, just what was it like writing a, about Eugene, who you kind of had a close, not a close relationship, but, but yeah. a relationship with. Yeah, listen, I did. I did at one point have a very good uh, professional working relationship. I know you did at one point too. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, we we would, uh, you know, we were, you know, on a kind of texting basis or, you know, emailing or phone call. Uh, you know, when I had a, a question about something, he would, he would answer me all, all the time up until about 20, 17 2018 i think we had a really good uh relationship and then it you know like it 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 fell apart uh and 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 i felt like in and around 20 and the the comments he made at the outdoor game i know never sat well with people no Uh, but but you know right around that time 2018 2019 you know you started to hear some stories about um you know the, the the toxicity at the office and and then you started to see like wow like you know, Daniel Alfredson left multiple times and, you know, they didn't create the environment that, 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 you know, Carlson and stone and, you know, whoever else you want to add to that list, they all left. And, 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 and nobody was doing the story. Nobody was like, kind of, everyone was like, Oh, I know what's going on, but I don't want to say what's going on. Well, Hmm. somebody has got to say what's going on. And there was a connective tissue there, but uh, with all of those departures and all of the, uh, the the different presidents and CEOs that would come in and uh, players that would leave. And there was instability. And it really, I think, came from the very top of the organization. And so when I joined The Athletic, one of the things that, that we talked about was somebody needs to do a deep dive onto what the bleep is going on behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Katie and Dan and myself spent months um, kind of, you know, we, we spoke to so many people, um, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens mm-hmm. and dozens of people current employees, former employees, current players, former players, coaches, all these things. And, you know, a story started to develop of a very bizarre workplace. And and, and at times a, a workplace that included, you know, kind of homophobic elements and misogynistic elements and, you know, borderline, I thought borderline racist elements, all of these things that um, you thought to yourself, um, this ain't right. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we started to pursue this and, it's a hard thing to do to pursue a story like that because um, you know that once you start kind of kicking the tires on this, people are going to start talking to each other and then it's going to go up the food chain. And then guess what? He's going to know that you're doing this story, which he did. And um, you know, unfortunately for him, his health wasn't in a, in a great place. And um, you know, would I have liked this story to have come out before he passed away? Absolutely. Like that was our intention, our goal, but we couldn't, you know, we, we wanted to make sure that a- anything we put out and produce was airtight, um, you know, quadruple, quintuple sourced or, you know, whatever it is. Like we never put any anecdote. If you go back and read that story, there's no. not a single anecdote in that article that wasn't sourced 
by multiple people. Like we wow. said to ourselves, we cannot, we're not taking one piece of somebody said, well, he said this and that we're, yeah. we're not going with that. Like, unless we have, you know, smoking gun evidence or, you know, emails or, you know, voice recordings or what, whatever it is, mm-hmm. we're not going with it. So that takes time to put together. And then, yeah. you know, it, the, the timing of it was such that, as we were getting to the finish line, unfortunately, that one is that's when his, mm-hmm. you know, health was failing. And then we listen, like we had a uh, a real debate, I think, about like yeah, after he passed away, what do you do? Yeah. Um, do you just leave this? Do you not leave it? Do you mm-hmm. wait three months? Do you wait three weeks? Do you like there's no handbook for this? No. And I am completely open to the criticism from people who say, and I think we waited three weeks and we published yeah. the story after he passed away. I'm open to the criticism. I'm, I'm here to, to take it. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm okay with that. I understand. I want people to know I understand the criticism. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm not one of these people that says that, that doesn't understand that the timing of it may not have sat well with people. I get it. I'm a human being. I understand that. But I also felt like the truth needed to be told. And I wish it was we were able to tell that story uh, earlier. We weren't. We simply weren't able to get it journalistically to a place that we felt comfortable publishing in mm-hmm. December or January. As much as we we thought we were close, we weren't. But we published it, and you know, uh, I mean, it's a we. I I I feel an obligation to tell the truth, and you know, the one of the things that I really appreciated, we had a lot. I had a lot of people come out to me, and I, I think Katie and Dan did too. People who reached out to to us and said, you know, just so you know, you guys got the story right. Um, yeah, you got it right. And that's that's what matters to me. It would have it would have crushed me if we put that story out and we even had one element wrong or mm-hmm. one thing wrong. That that's not the way we want to do things. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, at the end of the day, I hope that this leads to uh, a better era for the Ottawa Senators. That mm-hmm. um, we can all move forward. I'm happy to move forward. I'm 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 not interested in in, in drudging up the past, but I do think it's important to know it. To, to know the history and, yeah. and, 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 you know, it's the old, um, unless you know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. And I think it's really important that we, mm-hmm. we show everybody kind of what was going on under the hood here and make sure, uh, make, make, make damn sure that this doesn't happen again, that mm-hmm. we can't mm-hmm. let, uh, an office culture get so toxic that it, it, it literally emanates throughout the organization Mm-hmm. and impacts the on-ice product, the off-ice product, all of it got mm-hmm. impacted by a, a level of toxicity that I don't think belongs in a workplace in the year 2022. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And it's a great piece and you should check it out if if you can. Um, I just want to now transition to, I guess, the on-ice part of the auto senator. Yeah. And I know uh, reading some of your stuff and, and listening to you that before kind of the off-season started, you were kind of, this is the make it or break it almost of Pierre Dorian as the GM, as the Ottawa Senators. I'd say most Sens fans are pretty happy with what happened this summer. But I just wanted to know with the Giroux signing, Debrinket, the other trades that kind of, um, I just wanted to know what you kind of thought about the offseason and, and maybe just add on what do you think the most impactful addition was um, this summer? Yeah, listen, I think... Uh, and and we did uh, Dom Luschichin, who who does our uh, analytics, uh, a lot of our analytics type of writing at the Athletic, put out a front office confidence poll I where yeah. um, you know fans can kind of uh, weigh in on how much confidence they have in the direction of their team. Ottawa made one of the biggest leaps in confidence, where I think 
year over year, it was like a 90% difference in like the swing of the mm-hmm. confidence level. And it's great. I, listen, I, I think Ottawa fans are tired of being pessimistic, tired of being it's fragile. Tired, yeah. yeah. And, and I, like, like for people who think that I, I relish in that, I don't like what I, I want to see this friend. Like I want people to understand. I want to see this team win a Stanley cup. Like I, I think most beat writers who cover their team, whatever the sport is, you want to cover at least one championship season. Like, like just from start to finish, just to experience it. And like, you know, for, for the, the, the readers or your audience, you just want that. Right. So that's what I want. And I feel like they've taken a quantum leap forward uh, towards that. I think to me, if you're asking me what the, the move of the summer, it was Giroux because I think, I don't think a year ago at this time, Claude Giroux signs in Ottawa. There's okay. no way, no okay. way, no way. Uh, I, I think the, listen we just talked about the toxicity at the at the like i don't think the the situation was right for him to come in but now it feels like the the nose of the ship is pointed in the right direction and um i think what what claude Giroux did by signing here was it was the biggest endorsement for the direction of the franchise bigger than any marketing plan or anything you can come up with Mm -hmm. um claude Giroux saying yeah, I'll, I'll sign on the dotted line. Like this doesn't happen in Ottawa. Like we've yeah. for years have talked about, can we get this guy to sign? And I'm like, guys, this guy's not signing here. Like stop it with your free agent <laughs> thing. And and even, you know, six months ago, if you told me, uh, you know, what about Claude Giroux coming home? I'm like, Claude Giroux's not coming home. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden in the spring, you started to hear that, you know, Claude will, would consider it. And then, you know, here we are. So I think that was huge. I think him signing on the dotted line, is like I said, a huge endorsement for the direction of this program. Um, uh, a big reason why, like, I'm excited for opening night. I think opening yeah. night is gonna going be to be there. like a yeah, and it, it's it's going to feel like a rebirth of a franchise. And I can't wait to hear the ovation on opening night. You know, for Claude to come home, for Alex DeBrinket, for um, you know Brady Kachuk. Uh, it 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 feels like a combination of Post-COVID, even last year when, when we yeah. opened up the arena, they, they, there were still some people who were hesitant. And, and listen, I'm very mindful that people might be hesitant mm-hmm. to come back to the arena again. But it's going to feel like a rebirth here um, coming up for, uh, you know, for Ottawa fans this season. And just to kind of go back on that, you you know, you were mentioning Claude Giroux. Um, <clears throat> do you think that kind of has a trickle-down effect kind of maybe – um, in terms of like guys like Debrinket signing or kind of bringing other guys through the door, um, there's also rumors of a top four defenseman, and I'm kind of curious what you kind of think or even know about that. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I th- listen. I think Giroux coming back is huge. Like, yeah, I think it does entice other people to come. The only problem is now you're going to get into a can we fit everybody in under the cap? Yeah, center, which is a good problem now. Like, like we're so conditioned in Ottawa to. Uh, having these conversations of can they reach the cap floor? We've never stopped to consider uh, the opposite problem, which is can you fit everybody in under the cap? Uh, I think Giroux helps for sure. Like um, again, like I said, it's an endorsement of the program when a player who is, you know, Claude's got some hall of fame credentials. I'm not saying he's a hall of fame player. I'm saying he's got at the end of his career, he's going to have some numbers that stack up pretty well, against mm-hmm. some some other hall of famers and, and you know he's probably the type of guy that's going to end up having his jersey retired in philly because you know played a thousand games captain there face of the franchise for a decade so 
you get that guy to sign on the dotted line, you're going to get other people to 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 come in. And yeah, the question is now, can they get that that top four defenseman? And to me, I think they're a bubble playoff team right now. I think the East is <clears> so strong that um, that's a like if they were in the Pacific Division, yeah. I think they're a playoff team. Yeah. But they're not. They're in a very tough uh, Atlantic division. But if you get a legit top four defenseman by the time the season starts, I think you can legitimately have a conversation to say they're a play. No, they're a playoff team. Mm-hmm. They're a playoff team. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not quite there yet. I don't want to set the bar too high because I think um, there needs to be a little bit of excitement and enthusiasm. And 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 I and I you know I, I just want the, I want this season to be a fun one. I hope for yeah. Ottawa fans that they can kind of fall back in love with their team. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I think Giroux absolutely uh, helps to create that environment and then possibly help the uh, the roster as well. Mm-hmm. And like I, I just want to ask about like because there's been a lot about Jacob Chikrin and like the big ask. Like I guess this is more kind of a kind of a big picture. Do you think kind of giving up a lot of assets for that kind of player is kind of the right thing to do right now for the Sens? Like I know every all the fan base is super excited, but is it kind of, is that too much win now mode or, or what are your kind of thoughts? Look, I'm okay with win now mode because we've been sitting on, you know, wait till next year for like five years in a row, like four mm-hmm. or five years in a row, we've been thinking, ah, maybe next year they'll compete. No, at some point next year arrives and this is that next year. I'm okay with them. Like, I still think they've got some decent prospects. They could package up like, whether it's Jacob Bernard Docker, Lassie Thompson, Igor Sokolov, uh, you know, Clevin, all these, you could package up some of those guys where I get concerned is, okay. If Arizona is really asking for two first round picks for Jake Chikrin, I like to me, two first round picks is like, you're getting back a stud lock it in. Yeah. And Jacob Chikrin is a very good defenseman. I think he's a top four, lock it in, no questions asked. But two first-round picks, a big, big asking price, especially when a lottery ticket to Connor Bedard might be involved. And um, I would hate for Ottawa, like I would lottery protect that pick. Like yeah. I would say, okay, yeah. if, if you're asking for my 2023, fine. You can have it. It's top three protected. It's top five protected, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a huge thing for me uh, because I, I don't want to – take the risk of losing out on a generational player. Like imagine if Ottawa misses the playoffs and they finish, you know, whatever it'd be 20th terrible. overall. And then they've given up and we've been down this road before where, you know, it, it was, you know, the, the Matt Duchesne trades, a great example of yep. you give up your first uh, round pick. You don't lottery protect it. Cause you think, wow, there's no way we're going to finish at the bottom of the standings. And then you do. And then, you know, luckily for Ottawa, uh, that was the year that, um, you know, they, they took Brady Kachuk, which was good. They punted it to the next year. It was they had another bad year. And 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 it could have been Jack Hughes. Like, we could have been having a conversation where that could they could have had Jack Hughes. Now, Bo and uh, Byram would have been a really nice fit here, too. But, um, you know, you don't want to go down that road again. So, but, yeah, I, I, I would be okay. Like, if you're telling me the asking price for Jake Chikrin is a first-round pick, maybe another asset of that nature, whatever. Yeah, sure. But two first round picks plus another prospect that seems a little bit steep for me. Yeah. And I, I like just to kind of go off that, like, and this is kind of my personal opinion. I, for me, I, 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 cause they got the extra 
second round pick for Connor Brown. And I was just wondering if like if it was like a first and two seconds and a, a prospect or something like that, does that seem much more palatable and for you? Yeah, like, you know, the Connor Brown trade, it confused me because yeah. I thought when they traded him and they got a second pick, second round pick, I thought, okay, within five hours or something, we're going to hear that they flipped that second round pick for something. And you'd be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But then it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And it was like, why, why were you rushing to trade a guy in Connor Brown who I think if they had – look, and I know there's cap considerations, but if, even if you didn't think he fit into your team a year from now, wouldn't you love to have Connor Brown all year and then either flip him out of the deadline or you keep him as a quote-unquote own rental? Like, yeah. I don't know. So, you know, seeing seeing a third a second-round pick come back was a little bit of a head-scratcher, but I'm willing to wait and see what opening night's roster looks like and if they mm. – you know, if they're able to use that cap space uh, that they would have used on Brown on a Jake, like, you know, Jacob Chickren's cap hit isn't much more than Connor Brown's it's million. a million dollars more yeah. 900,000. Yeah. So I'm willing to, to wait on that. But yeah, I think to me, um, if you're able to use some of these, like they, they still have lots of, you know, picks or whatever, but it is time to probably replenish. Like that's, you want to be careful. You don't want to just give away mm-hmm. first round picks, first round picks. Cause now like basically all of their NHL, kind of high-end prospects they've all graduated all of them like the guys that are left are you know guys that could project to be nhl players but they're not locking in like right like sokolovs and thompson's and tyler boucher's like they're all legitimate prospects but they're not the blue chip era of sanderson and stutzla and kachuk and all Mm -hmm. that era is done like they're all there so uh, you know you want to be reluctant and just giving away pick after pick Mm-hmm. And just kind of moving, like going to training camp, like they still haven't signed Formington and Brandstrom. And I mean, the Formington obviously could be one reason for that. But I just was wondering if you have any indication if those are kind of e- either dealt or signed before training camp, like you presume. But um, like, do you know anything about those guys? No, I don't. And you know what? And listen, I understand that there's a lot of questions about Formington and um you know, for us, we've we've tried to do some reporting uh, around the Hockey Canada story, and and we'll see what happens there. Like, I'm I'm very reluctant. People are always asking me, like, how come you're not, uh, you know, talking about this, or why are you like like I know. hope people understand the legalities involved here. That you you like this isn't the Wild West Internet where I can just you know use people's names and certain things no. unless you're 100 certain of what's going to happen. So we'll wait and see what what transpires there. I think. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. And we're, we're getting closer and closer to a potential, you know, we're getting closer to training camp. Right. So if, if, if he's not signed, um, you know, he won't have to come to training camp and, but, but if he comes to training camp, boy, we're, we're going to have some questions for him uh, yeah. about whether it's the hockey camp stuff. Or, yeah, ab- absolutely. Anybody, anybody who was potentially involved there, we're, we're going to ask questions and, uh, we're going to, you know, hopefully get some accountability there. But uh, on Brandstrom, I think that's interesting too, because you wonder, you know, if you trade for Jacob Chikrin, is Brandstrom a piece that goes back? And I, I, you know, I would consider myself an Eric Brandstrom truther in that I like him. I actually think he's like, and especially like if he's your third pairing defenseman, I think things are good. Like I, I, I think things are pretty good. Like if he's your third pairing guy, like I, I think he can play in this league. Uh, I don't know about him on the power play, like like you know, product, productivity wise, he hasn't really done a ton. But 
um, you know, now maybe there's going to be some nicer pieces on that second unit power play, whatever. Like, I like him, and and I I would love to see him come back. Like, you can get him on a you know two year deal at two million per. Like, kind of just hey, let's see what you're able to do. I'd be all for it. I I really think uh, he's a capable and competent defenseman. I know there's some people that, that think oh you can't win with Brandstrom or whatever. I I think he can. I, I like I like him a lot. I think he can. He can move the puck. He just, you know, may not have the numbers to show it, but I, I'm a big fan of him. So I would love to see him come back. And if he's on your third pair, like if your left side is some combination of Thomas Shabbat, Jake Sanderson, and Eric Brandstrom, like to me, this is what you've been waiting for as an Ottawa fan. You've been waiting for the, the, the multiple pairings that are solid. And, and, you know, it's the right side. That's the issue here because I, I think Zub is the only capable guy Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, in my opinion, and we'll see how this plays out. But I, I'm I'm a Brandstrom fan. I would love to see him sign, like I said, two times two. See where he's at and and kind of go from there. I guess my last kind of sense, or probably my last sense question, uh, and it's pretty short. Is just, do you have any idea if Zub is a long term kind of? Because like I think Sens fans want him, but there doesn't seem to be any kind of contract nego- Like there, I haven't heard anything, and he's been so good. I just I'm just curious what. Yeah, you look, and I think when Artem Zub signed and Dan Milstein's his agent, I think the f- the first reason why they signed in Ottawa a couple of years ago was they were looking for where's a place where the client could come in and play pretty much right away. And, they, and you know, Ottawa was thin, so they knew that that was a place. And after that first year, uh, which was the the kind of the, the shortened 56-game yeah. yeah. season, uh, he signed a two-year extension. And I know at the time there's a lot of Ottawa fans saying oh, you should have locked up Zoom for f- five years at that point or six years, right? Uh, but I think it was Milstein's plan take him to free agency. Okay. Um, you know, okay. I, I think so. Um, and I can't you can't blame the player or the club no. or the agent because um you, you start to look at the field and you think if Artem Zub is smart, he plays out this year, plays it out, and if he's the guy that um you know, we think he is, he's going to set himself up for a really nice potential, you know, five times five deal somewhere or what, what, like he can pick his spot or he can be choosy. And I, I never, I never begrudge a player. Like, like all the times people say like, you should have locked this guy up. You don't know that uh, what, what the the player and the agent are thinking. And I, my guess on this one is they wanted to, to test unrestricted free agency as early as possible because he's a little bit older, right? Like, like when he came to the NHL, he was 24, right? Or 24 turning 25 uh, when he came to the NHL. So this is his first opportunity as a, as a young pro, his year where he turns 27 to be a UFA. I I don't begrudge him. If I'm Ottawa though, yeah, I'm trying to sign him. I'm trying to sign him uh, for a five or six year deal if I could, because I think he is the most steadying, uh, calming influence they have on the right side of that defense. I'd love to see him paired with Jake Sanderson this year. Like, I, I think if you want to put Sanderson in a position to succeed, I think you put him with Artem Zub. Um, and I, I, I would sign him, but, but boy, I, I think they're going to have a hard time doing it before the season because I think Zub and his camp probably think our leverage is only going to get better, better. and the team the season be better. Goes. And like, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I guess just kind of to end off, because you kind of mentioned you think the Sens are kind of a bubble team to make the playoffs. And obviously, if they get Chikrin or someone like that, then they probably are more likely a, a playoff team. 
Is there one player that you're really excited to 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 watch this year or intrigued about this year? And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, you know what, I, I mean, I guess there's a twofold answer. One would be Jake Sanderson, and you know, I got, I had a chance to go up to, uh, to North Dakota to watch him play uh, a weekend last year. Like the skating is phenomenal. Like the skating wow, is yeah. NHL caliber, world class, like um, unbelievable. So. Uh, I'm excited for him. I know he's had some injury issues, but uh, but I I truly think he can come in and do for Ottawa what Moritz Sider did for Detroit, which wow. is come in and be a like a legitimate top four, wow. ready to go defenseman. Like I think he's that good. I really do. And then so if he can do what Moritz Sider did in Detroit, and and he's got more uh, you know support maybe than Sider did. It's going to be a fun year. So he would be guy number one. Guy number two for me is Cam Talbot because oh, okay. uh, goaltending for me has been a huge problem. In fact, I think DJ Smith has been um, kind of, you know, submarined by bad goaltending. And yeah. uh, whether it was his first year, second year, third year, every time uh, he's tried to look for some stability in goal, he hasn't had it until Anton Forsberg really kind of came and gave him some stability last year. He hasn't had it. So I, I, I think if Cam Talbot can come in, like Forsberg has to play the way he did last year. And then Talbot comes in, you know, 35 years old, expiring deal. If he can come in and they can kind of get this one, one, a thing going. I, I do think that they could be a playoff team. If, if, if those, so to me, if Jake Sanderson and Cam Talbot kind of hit their ceiling of what they can do, I think this could be a playoff team. Great. Um, so I guess just to kind of end off, um, thank you so much for this. And and I just wanted to know kind of going forward, is there anything you're working on or any pieces coming up that anyone should kind of uh, kind of keep their eyes or ears open for? Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, I'm pretty excited just for the start of the season, right? Like just um, the, the fact that we're, uh, uh, you know, a couple of weeks away from training camp and like, I, I'm excited to, to, to do some stuff, like I said, around, around Jake Sanderson and, and in the rookie camp and all that stuff. Um, I'm hoping fingers crossed to get some time with Claude Giroux. Um, I've seen he's been week. around all Ottawa. Yeah. yeah. So I'm hoping to get some time with him in the next week or so. And I'd love to do just a feature on, Hey, Claude's coming home. What's his expectations? What, you know, what, what's the mindset? So uh, that would be, yeah, that would be the one thing I'm, I'm excited to hopefully do is to connect with Claude. Cause I, uh, I think that's, that's the story of the off season for Ottawa was, was landing him. And, um, and then, yeah, like, listen, we're going to get right into like, once we get past labor day, it's, it's go time, you know? Yeah. And um, I, I'm just excited. I'm excited to hopefully have a season in which the Ottawa senators are no longer a, a tire fire you know yeah, um yeah. on and off the ice so i'm i'm excited for for just to cover a normal hockey team for change yeah <laughs> it's yeah be fun yeah well thank you so much sorry i just lost my voice and uh yeah so thank you so much ian again uh thank you for listening to the passion project and passion project listeners hopefully we have some other exciting new guests coming up in the next couple of weeks just trying to kind of uh get all get them all in place but uh, stay tuned. A lot of exciting stuff and talk to you soon. Bye.